Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, how many people know that actually uh, today is the start of Passion Week? A couple of people, that's good. Um, it's a good start. Uh, yeah, actually, today's Palm Sunday, um, and I just, I just want to encourage you. I read an article uh, last night uh, by BBC, and it said that they said something like, uh, nine, between 9 and 10% of Christians uh, don't believe in the resurrection. That's incredible. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know why they go to church. <laughs> um, and, you know, what Cheryl was saying, I want to re-emphasize that. What she was saying tonight, that, 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 that confession, this, this I believe, is so crucial. It is the foundation of, of the Christian faith. It is the foundation of what we believe. And we have to contend for it. And we have to um, believe in it. And so I just encourage you this week, as you, as you go through this week, get alone with God. Spend some time in the Word and just read the story of the Passion. Just read those last couple of, couple of days of Jesus' life on earth. Because it's so important to refresh ourselves of just of the reason that he came, why we're here. Um, that, that week is the most historical week in human history. Yeah. Uh, shops would be open on Sunday if it wasn't for that week. Um, <laughs> banks would be open on Sunday if it wasn't for that week. It is a historical week. In fact, Neil Armstrong, went, uh, after he came back from the moon, they, they asked him, how do you feel this is the most historical um, moment in, in, in all of human history? And he said, no, that, that moment belongs to Jesus. And, uh, and that's so true, and it still remains true to this very day. Um, and so I'm supposed to be talking on Barabbas, and I, I promise you I will talk about Barabbas. Um, but first, uh, I need to just uh, I need to set it in some context. And I want to I talk about Palm Sunday just very briefly, because there's something we have to understand that's happening in Palm Sunday that actually gives us a whole new angle on what's happening with Jesus and Barabbas. It's crucial to understand it. So we'll start in Mark 11. And Kevin spoke about this uh, three weeks ago. And uh, it's not that I think he didn't do a good job on it. Uh, I actually was, I wasn't here for it. So, um, so I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't actually know that, he, that he'd spoken about it. But, um, so I won't go into too much detail. But Mark 11, uh, verse 1. Uh, As he approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at Bethany and the Mount of Olives... Uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there or a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a donkey in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that donkey. They answered Jesus, uh, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of the head and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's important to understand what's happening in, in the, at this point. See, the, the, the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament is about 400 years. So for 400 years, God hadn't said a thing to the Jewish people. They weren't used to that. There was always a prophet around. 
major or minor. There was always there was a king, there was a judge, there was someone around who was the, the, the spokesperson of God for the people. But for 400 years, the Israelites passed between kingdom to kingdom. Taken over by one, taken over by the next. 400 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. It's longer than any of us will probably ever live. I don't know about you, Margaret, though, man. I've got, I've got hope for you. <laughs> um, you see, the, the end of the Old Testament, the way it ends is the Jewish people are left with a promise. Read Isaiah, read Zechariah, read Malachi. You, you see in there, it's this prophetic promise, which is there is going to be one who comes. He's called the Messiah, Emmanuel. He, he's going to come and he's going to set you free from your oppressors. He's going to set you free from oppression. He's going to restore to you back to the, to the glory days. He's going to come and he's going to save you. Hosanna means save us, help us, is the cry of the people as Jesus comes in. We have to understand is, for 400 years, the Jewish people have been waiting for this man. And then all of a sudden, the New Testament begins. A man called John the Baptist starts saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He says, but there's one who's coming who's going to baptize in fire. Whose sandals I am not worthy to wear. And then one day he's baptizing and he sees Jesus. And he says, that's the man. That's the Messiah. That's the one whose, whose sandals I'm not fit to wear. That's the one who's going to liberate you. That's the one. And then he starts doing some crazy things. He starts teaching. His wisdom is, is unbelievable. Then he starts healing. He starts blind people. He starts giving them sight. Spitting in their eyes and weird things like that. He then starts to forgive people of their sins. What kind of man is this that you can forgive? In fact, at one point he declares to the Pharisees, the religious rulers, I am Lord of the Sabbath. That claim is blasphemous. How dare you say something like that? And then... One of the last things he does before the Passion Week is he raises a man from the dead. And then he starts riding into Jerusalem. You see, you have to understand there is an expectation on Jesus at this point in time. Jesus is going to come and he's going to liberate us from our oppressors. That was the expectation as Jesus rode in on that donkey. People couldn't wait. He was a divisive character, Jesus. The religious rulers didn't like him, but the people, they, they liked him. You don't, you don't cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, if you don't like the guy. Yeah. <laughs> now let's read the account of Brabus. Mark 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You've said so, Jesus replied. His uh, sass levels were high at this point. Um, (laughs) the, The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. 
do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Jesus. So interesting that Pilate refers to him in the correct way. Mm. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. So Pilate knew that this man Jesus was innocent. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. When I first, um, I remember one of the first times I read this story as kind of a, a boy or a young, young guy. I was in that stage of, um, that's not fair. Um, parents will know that stage uh, that happens in their kids um, when it's that thing, everything's just not fair. Normally the response is, well, life's not fair. Um, which, <laughs> I hated that response. I never got this. I didn't understand that. Well, why isn't life fair? Things should be fair. That makes sense that they would be fair. Then everyone has a fair life oh, people are so stupid um <laughs> but uh that was what i was told um that life isn't fair so deal with it um but and those the parents who don't have who've you know we had a lot of de- baby dedications oh they will they will meet that stage soon uh, when the kid's like that's not fair you can't do that to me uh, i have rights um <laughs> blah, blah, blah. that's what school teaches us you see that we have rights um you can't touch me <laughs> um but I remember reading this and I'm getting angry at this story this sense of um, justice is building up inside of me this is not fair what about this this isn't even this isn't a fair trial Pilate knows that he's innocent just let him go but and then he's going to put he has the cheek the nerve to put Barabbas next to Jesus so how is that fair there's no comparison between the two they are the polar opposites and then my anger turns to the crowd as they shout crucify him crucify him and i remember just five days ago these are the same people that held hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord what happens in five days that the human heart is so fickle that it can do a whole 180 degree turn what happens in those five days? I think what happens is the people were disappointed. There was a sense. Remember the expectation that was on Jesus? He's going to come and he's going to liberate us from our oppressors. He didn't do that. And so five days later, the man that they expected him to be when he didn't show up, after 400 days, years of persecution and of waiting the man that they thought was going to come was didn't he didn't turn out to be that man and then i recognized myself in the crowd how many times i've been disappointed or feel like god has abandoned me or let me down in some way and i realized that's me in the crowd at times i haven't i said i'm i haven't lived for 400 years but there's been times where it's felt like 400 years I've been waiting for God to do something. God, why is this not happening? That's how it starts. 
you know, that you, you're a good Christian and oh, well, I'm just going to stand my ground. I'm going to keep going. And then that turns into, you know, God's not doing this thing, but I'm going to keep going. Which grows into a disappointment, which grows into offense, which grows into rejection. That happened in five days for these people. A disappointment, an offense, and a rejection. And you see that there's a point here about prayer, and I want to make a side point. And I'll get back to Barabbas, but it's, it, it just, I just felt like when I was preparing this, God wanted me to bring this. Prayer is pointless if it's not answered. The point of prayer is not that you just the prayer becomes unanswered. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't consist in prayer or persist in prayer. But, but prayer that's not answered is pointless. Prayer is not a spiritual exercise. We treat it like it. This is something I've got to tick a box by praying. It's just something that God told us to do to keep us busy, right? That's just, it's just a church activity. It's just a thing to put in the church calendar once a week that we can go and we can meet together and we can pray. Just a spiritual exercise. Not the point of prayer. Here's the point of prayer. John 16, 23, 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Truly, truly, he says, he's not lying. I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Here it is. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So the, the point of prayer is so that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. That's incredible that God says, invites us to go ask him things so that he can complete our joy. That's the point of prayer. But you see, sometimes we're very bad, we can be very bad at teaching people how to pray. Because, you know, for me, so often someone goes, oh, I've got a problem. I go, have you prayed about it? And we're happy to prescribe it. (laughs) So you need to pray. That's what you need to do. But sometimes, I forget, some, Jesus taught how to pray. Yeah. And often, our, our understanding of prayer doesn't advance past Sunday school. In Sunday school, I was taught to pray. Aaron, you come before the Lord, and you say, thank you, Jesus. So good. Here's my list. LAUGHTER and uh, like he was Santa Claus of some, like he was Santa Claus, like I was writing a wish list. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our de- debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But we're taught to pray like this. The, the immature Christian prays like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debtors, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an order to this prayer. And the order is intentional. It's so subtle. 
but it's so vital to prayer, to understanding truly what it is to pray. And you see, later in the verse, in Matthew 6, Jesus frames the context of the prayer. He actually says, Matthew 6, 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The context of him saying that is talking about our daily needs, our daily bread. Do you see how I clothe the the fields? Do you see how I feed the birds? Stop worrying. Worrying is just like praying for something you don't want really hard. That's all it is. But the point is that he says, pursue first my kingdom and my my righteousness and watch how all these things get added. See, what we have to understand about prayer is when Christ died for us, and we we say we were hidden in him. So this this is me, okay? Um, And sinful, broken me. But Jesus comes and he covers it and he hides it. So that when Jesus looks at me, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So now I can enter the throne with confidence. It says I can come before God with boldness. And then the question is, what are you going to do once you're before him? I'm going to give him my list. (laughs) Right? That's that's what I'm supposed to do. Right? Oh, yes. Now Christ has hidden me. Ah, God can't see me. I'm going to sneak up on him and ask ask him for my list. My stuff. No, Prayer is an invitation for participation. The, the most incredible thing that, that God does for us, Jesus does it, when he hides us, it means we can come before the Father completely hidden and partner with everything that he's wanting to do. There is no greater blessing for your life than his will and purpose. Everything is supposed to come under the Lordship of Christ. Everything. That my privilege, my joy as a Christian is that I can come before the Father, partner with him in seeing his rule and reign and his dominion over all areas of other people's lives. That dominion isn't controlling. It's not not some um, oppressive force that we're trying to bring over people's lives. No, it's it's, it's freedom itself. Everything is supposed to come under the dominion and lordship of Christ. Remember Adam in the garden. He was under the lordship of Christ, but God gave him dominion over all the earth. But then once he came out of the lordship of Christ, of of God, his dominion was taken from him and the enemy had dominion on the earth. Adam lost it. But Christ, the the new Adam, restores it for us so that before God, I can now come before him under his lordship and actually begin to see his kingdom expand in my world that's that's out there. That is my privilege as a Christian, not my daily bread. My daily bread is sorted for me already. There's an order to our prayer. And I don't mind personal prayers. I'm not, I'm not against you praying for, for other stuff. I'm not against that, but not at the expense of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not at that expense. And just quickly, I'm, disease and sickness is not the will of God. I want to just like throw that in there. If you think it is, please read the Bible. It's not the will of God. So when people are disappointed, often it's because they've been praying the wrong way around. You pick the crowd, remember those guys? 
They're disappointed, disheartened. They were so focused on their daily bread that they missed the greater blessing that was coming. They flipped the order. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. They flipped the order. And for God to answer their prayer, he would have had to violate a greater blessing that was coming their way. Your prayers aren't being answered. I just wonder if you're praying the wrong way. I don't mean that to be rude. Or if it was. <laughs> we have to learn how to pray. We have to learn how to pray. It's so vital. And I get to come before God and partner with him in his plans for Aberdeen. Wow. That's incredible. That's the privilege of the believer, not my daily bread. And it was something that people couldn't understand. There was a greater blessing, but they missed it. Missed it. Because for 400 plus years, they've been crying out. For, for they've been taking the promise of God and going, oh, that means he's going to come and establish a political kingdom. It wasn't a political kingdom. Okay, so back to Brabus, that guy. Okay. So remember, I'm a, you know, I'm a righteous young kid. Angry at the world for its unfairness. And angry at this passage for it not being fair. And now my anger's turned to Brabus. Who is this guy? who thinks he can stand on the same stage as Jesus and then be set free. He wasn't even like Paul, at least Paul who murdered. At least when when God actually showed up to him, Paul changed his life around and did some good. Brabus didn't even do that. Brabus, there was no sign of repentance in him. He's what we call a a, a, a Z-list celebrity in the Bible. He doesn't come up again. (laughs) He's a one-off. Flash in the pan. And I, 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 I was furious at him. Perplexed at Jesus, but furious at Brabus. How are you going to let this man go? He's guilty. He deserves his punishment. This isn't right. It's not fair. How can this be happening? How can this arse of a man, (laughs) this this donkey of a man, be set free? And then I remembered. And then I remembered. Matthew 11, 5 to 6. This was my question to Jesus. What are you doing untying that donkey? What are you doing untying that donkey. They answered as Jesus had told them to. Their answer was, because he has need of it. Because he has need of it. Because he wants it. What are you doing untying Brabus, Jesus? Because I want it, Aaron. I want him. And I realize I'm Brabus. I realize I'm the donkey. It's me. It's you. It's us. 
and I find myself in this place overwhelmed by his love as it just comes rushing in. And I hear him saying, Aaron, before eternity, before I even created you, before you were even a thought in your mum and dad's mind, I decided that I was going to be for you, not against you. I saw all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt, even after I died for you. I knew you were going to do these things, and I still decided I want that man in my family, and I'm going to pay for him to be in my family. The wages of sin are death, so I'm going to send my son Jesus, my only son, spotless, blameless, didn't do a thing wrong, and he's going to die in your place. Because I'm so desperate to have you in my family. It is incredible what Jesus did for friends. It blows me away what he did to have unbroken communion with his people. It is incredible. It is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That he took my place foreseeing everything that I would do. Even foreseeing those who would never come to know him who would actively reject him and speak against him. Seeing all of that, he decided, I still want them. (laughs) Siri's responding. (laughs) Romans 5, verse 8. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Oh, what love. Yet I find myself constantly trying to break myself free. I find myself in that same place all the time. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm going to untie these. I'm going to get myself loose from this. God, I'm going to work as hard as I can. Because I love you to get free of what you already loosed me from. Already loosed you from it. It's, it's tough to say, it's even harder to believe, but it's true. But it's true. I can't shake myself free. I can't do it. Jesus did. See, the, the oppression of the Jewish people was not from the Romans. It wasn't from the Romans. That was just a flash in the pan. That was just a moment. The Jewish people for thousands of years have been trying to get free of sin. Read the Old Testament. Their lives were worked around this thing called sin. It was a huge problem. And it meant that one time a year, one man was allowed in a singular place to meet with God. Once a year. God wasn't happy with it. He wasn't satisfied. That's not enough for me. I want that donkey. I want that donkey. I want that donkey. <laughs> Got to be careful. I point that out a bit. I'm going to beat up. The answer to their prayer was unbroken relationship with Jesus. That was the most freeing and liberating thing that they could have. Still so focused on their daily bread. 
Oh, they missed it. They rejected him and they despised him. See, the very first promise of Abraham, Genesis 15, I am your shield and your very great reward. God promised himself to the Jewish people and we've been grafted into that. Our greatest reward is Jesus himself. The fact that you get to come here on a Sunday. The fact that you can wake up on a Monday morning and he's right there. The fact that you can, you can mess up and you can sin and you can do something wrong and he's still there. A privilege. Unbelievable. But what do I do with this now? What do, I, what do I do with this newfound knowledge that I am Barabbas and Jesus took my place? And that's the message of the gospel. What do I do with that? This love which is so all-consuming, it's so powerful, it's so vast. How, how do I respond to this? What do I do? I know I want to end with this. This is one of my favorite stories. I loved hearing it as a kid. It's true. It's a true story. Two young Christians had heard of an island on the west, in the West Indies where an atheist, owned, where, um, an atheist British man owned a, owned a slave farm. Uh, who had banned Christian missionaries from coming to his island. If anyone was shipwrecked or came onto the island, they too were enslaved. He owned about 3,000 slaves. They would live and die without ever hearing the gospel. And these two young guys came along, lived in Hamburg, and they decided that they would sell their services to this slave owner. And use the money they earn to buy a one-way ticket to the island. And as the boat left the shore in Hamburg, his, these two young guys, their family, were stood at the shore and they, they were just lost at what these guys were doing. It's just crazy. You don't get to come back. You know that. You understand that. You don't get to return. You're, you're there for life. And as the boat left the shore, the boat left the shore, these, these two kids, these two, these two young guys, one of them sees his, his mom crying, and he shouts this back to her. This is the last words that were ever heard from this guy. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of the reward. Of his suffering. Our response to the gospel has to be this. Jesus. Because of what he did. Because of what he suffered. He's worthy of everything. Absolutely everything. He's worthy of the reward of his suffering. He deserves every ounce of me. Of who I am. He deserves lordship over every single area of my life. The incredible thing is, the incredible thing is, it is a free gift and is actually the best thing for me. Yeah. It is the best. It doesn't force my hand into it. It doesn't force me to do it. But it's still the best thing for me. Because Jesus has untied me from sin. He said to me, I have need of you, Aaron. 
just like he did with the donkey. He untied him and said, the master has need of him. This evening, tomorrow, Thursday, a year from now, when you're old and gray, Christ has need of you every single day. And he deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.